As you continue to listen to my homilies, you'll start to get the picture that I don't really care much for the new lectionary, the cycle of readings that we have used in the Catholic Church since the reforms of the Second Vatican Council. And that's not really because of any sort of romantic desire for the past or anything like that. My issue is that the new lectionary was designed to give us a much wider selection of readings from Scripture during the year. And yet whoever actually sat down to put this book together spent a considerable amount of time making sure that the point of most of these stories was left out. The first reading and the gospel for today's Mass are telling the same story, or at least they're hinting at the same story. In both cases, the actual point of the passage is not part of the reading. In the first reading, the prophet Daniel is foretelling something which he calls the abomination of desolation. For Daniel, this was a time or an event when particularly the true faith, the authentic worship of God, would suffer terribly. And in those days, this shall be a true attack on the faith by the enemy, in which St. Michael, the defender of the faith and the prince of the angelic host, will come to defend the faith. And in this time, many will fall. Many trusted people will fall. And only those who were wise who saw this trouble coming and who prepared themselves, only those will survive. And then as time went on, Hebrew scholars began to particularly associate the abomination of desolation with an act of sacrilege, and not, as we might presume, a prediction of the end times. And thus here enters Christ in the gospel today. Right before the gospel text, the part that we don't hear in the lectionary, Christ is foretelling the destruction of the temple. And he tells them that every stone of the temple will be cast down and destroyed. Idols will be set up. And those who love the true faith will have to shelter themselves, not in houses, but in the mountains. Pray that it doesn't happen in winter or on a Sabbath he says. Not pray that it doesn't happen. The Lord is assuring them that the prophecy of Daniel will be fulfilled, and so they should pray that it isn't as terrible as it could be, that the time they are forced to experience this great attack will be a time when they are strong enough to endure it. And of course, if you know anything about the history of Israel, you'll know that not but seven years after our Lord's glorious ascension, did the emperor decree that a statue of himself be erected in the temple in Jerusalem, something that was delayed until about 70 AD when not only was that statue built, but the temple was finally obliterated by the Roman military and has not been rebuilt since. And the Jewish citizens of that nation were scattered across the known world, the abomination of desolation. For the Jews, this was catastrophic. It changed a considerable number of practices in their religion forever. The entire form of their worship, the promise of a holy nation, all of that was at least in the biblical form lost, never to be seen again. And of course, the Christian answer is that for us, the destruction of these forms of worship is not that significant because Christ the Lord already instituted a new form of authentic worship, which we find in the sacraments. And so what's the point? Why the history lesson today? Well, I mention all of this because I want you to see the pattern and learn from it. Daniel prophesies that the enemy of the faith will rise up and great damage will be done to the assembly of Israel 
Things which were never thought possible will occur. Sacrilege. The faith and the faithful will be wounded. Christ comes along and reconfirms that it will happen. He instructs the apostles to pray that it doesn't happen when they're not prepared to face it. This past week, as I'm sure many of you are aware, our diocese faced a considerable crisis, has begun to face a considerable crisis. And I, like many of you, was scrolling through my Twitter feed on Monday evening when I saw a face that I recognized and then linked to an article by the Clarion Ledger, and what I found in that article scandalized me. It angered me, and I felt utterly betrayed. Betrayed, first of all, because of what the article said, and second of all, that I, as a priest of this diocese, was completely caught off guard, that I was entirely unaware of the situation. And that on Tuesday, I read through the 37-page affidavit which led to the eventual raid that happened last week on the Chancery offices in Jackson. And I called my mother, who herself, as an employee of the diocese, was subjected to a federal interrogation and had her computer confiscated as legal evidence to be examined. All of this as I watched the live stream of the meetings of the U.S. bishops in Baltimore, who had met for the purpose of discussing measures the bishops will undertake in response to the abuse cases and scandals presented this past summer in the United States, and then to hear the news that they were directed by the Vatican to cease voting on these measures, and to instead wait until February when the Holy Father himself will convoke an international meeting of bishops on the topic. And on top of that, the distressing news I heard from several, several families this week of their own problems with finances, or with their spouses, or their children, all of this, betrayal, disappointment, anger, fear. And then I read this passage from Mark. It will be hard in those days, says the Lord. And you must pray that it does not happen in winter or on a Sabbath. Christ the Lord did not, in establishing his church, promise that it would always be governed wisely or filled with admiral men or blameless. Certainly the church, insofar as she is the spouse of Christ, is all of these things. But the church, insofar as she is led by human ministers, is always short of what it should be. And we can expect nothing more. No, Christ the Lord did not promise us that. He told us to pray, particularly to pray that we be strong enough to endure it. And as I kept watching the meetings of our bishops in Baltimore, I was surprised by their discussions. There are, of course, what would have been a tendency to be angry, frustrated, and confused at the directive from the Holy See in regard to how they were to vote on these matters. And I'm certain that many bishops felt that, if anything, because they knew they would face all of us when they got back to their diocese. And they would be, like to be able to come home and say that they did something to fix the problem. But instead of persisting in their anger, they continued their discussions without voting. And I heard great things. I was very hopeful at the things that I heard. Bishop after bishop rising before all the other gathered people and saying bold things. Things, yes, that I would have liked to hear them say long ago, but that they are saying now. You see, the prophecy of Daniel has been proven true. A great sacrilege has occurred and has been occurring in the church for some time now. And many have fallen, but the wise must now rise up 
and shine like bright lights and not be afraid to proclaim the truth, not be fearful, to remain faithful to the Lord in spite of all of this. Pray that it doesn't happen in winter or on a Sabbath. That is, pray that you can withstand it, that you are strong enough to endure it without forsaking Christ. That is certainly my prayer right now. My faith is grounded in the church. I gave my life to her. I'm not taking it back, but I have to be able to keep up with these blows. And I want to be one of those wise lights at the end of all this. And so after hearing these various reports, the first thing I did was come into this church and sit before our blessed Lord in his Eucharistic presence. And I sat here for some time, quite a while. And then I spoke with Father Frank and with Father Bill and with other priests in our diocese. I talked with the parish staff and I told them that firstly my duty is to this parish and to the school and I can't let myself be distracted. And then I wrote a letter to our bishop and I expressed respectfully my disappointment with this entire situation. Pray that it doesn't happen in the winter or on a Sabbath. That is my recommendation to you, not just in the face of these scandals, but because you have so many other things to worry about. I can't forsake your issues either. You are facing struggles in your homes, in your families, in your workplaces, in your schools. You are fearful of this problem and of that. Pray that it doesn't happen in winter or on a Sabbath. Pray that you are strong enough to endure it for the sake of Christ. Learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branch becomes tender and sprout leaves, you know that summer is near. And in the same way, when you see these things happening, know that he is near at the gates. Yes, in all of this, the Lord is near. And that's not something to be afraid of. On one hand, yes, he's near in terms of the end times. People always have a tendency to be afraid of the end times. But he's also near because, as the psalm says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. In all of this, the Lord is near. He's right there in the tabernacle, here in the Holy Mass, here to dwell with us and in us forever so that we may dwell in him. Learn a lesson from the fig tree. The wise shall shine brightly like the splendor of the firmament, and those who lead the many to justice shall be like the stars forever.